Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week 10 of our series called Character Sketch, and in this chapter, we are taking a look at Esther and the boldness she demonstrated in approaching the king. We are led this week by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, and here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Great to see you all here uh, today as we continue in this series, uh, Character Sketch. And uh, as you see on the stage behind me, we've got all these characters here depicted. These are the exact replications of what they actually look like. Um, so, um, but no, we got them all here. Uh, for some reason, we chose to have Samuel look like a 300-year-old guy over there. We depicted him like that. But this week, we're, we're looking at Esther. Esther, that great story of Esther, and I know Doug just read it for us, but we're going to unpack it. I know God's got a message for you this morning, so let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever as we look at these characters throughout history. Lord, that your promises to them are the same for us today. Lord, we go through life and we focus a lot on the problems, but help us remember the promises that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for Esther. We thank you that the boldness that she had. Help us be bold here today. Lord, I pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. And you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, we're winding down this series. In fact, we only have uh, two more weeks of this series. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Job. And then we're going to end on Mother's Day in two weeks. Mother's Day's in two weeks. So if you have a mother, Mother's Day's in two weeks. So we're going to look at Hannah, uh, the dedication of Hannah. So we look at uh, Esther here together today. Now, if you just walked in, or if you maybe you've been here the whole time, and you, you heard what Doug just read about Esther, and you didn't know the story of Esther, it would be like picking up a novel and, and starting in chapter, what, 12, right? Picking up and go, I, I, have, I have no idea what he's talking about, right? Who's Esther? Who's Mordecai? Who's this other guy? Why, is it, why are they going to the king? What's happening, right? But once you understand the history of Esther, it means a whole lot more. A whole lot more. And we, we've, we've shown this before. You know, one of the things that you need to understand is you need to understand some of the background to it. One of the things, I, as I prayed already, I do want you to focus on the promises of God throughout this series. Not the problems of life, the promises of God. Because how God dealt with various people in different situations is the same as he's going to deal with us today. So you may look at these Old Testament characters up here and go, man, that's something for the Old Testament. Ancient times, it's not. It's for us today, and I know he's got a message for you this morning. But to give you a little picture of Esther, you've got to rewind. You've got to rewind and go, okay, who, what's happening in this story? Where does Esther even fit into the Old Testament? Some people don't have any idea where it fits. And so we gave you this uh, sheet again. It's promise the last time I'll, I'll show it to you. But for some of you didn't get this. We gave this out a few weeks ago. It's an Old Testament timeline. My hope is that you understand a little bit more about the Old Testament, the history, so that you can actually read it. A lot of people avoid it because they don't understand it. You know, as we've already showed, we've gone through this before, but we start with Noah and the universal history, and we went through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We got to uh, Moses, who went out to the wilderness, and we talked about Joshua, the conquest. And one of those is Joshua there, when he leads the conquest to, uh, throughout Israel. Then we, we spent a, a, a bunch of time in the period of Judges, right? We, we talked about uh, Gideon. We talked about Deborah. We talked about Samuel, the period of Judges where they came and were led. We, we chose these people because God uh, used these people significant. We could have used pretty much anybody in this character sketch. We could have been in this series for probably about four years. But we chose some people that really have some great characteristics that we can model. So we went through those period of judges. And you remember, after a while, the, the people of Israel said, we want a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. And so Samuel anoints who? Saul, right? 
in 1 Samuel uh, 8 there. As that's why that's there, 1 Samuel 8. He anoints Saul who, to be the king. And then you have David. And then you have Solomon. And then you have a bunch of bad kings, right? A bunch of bad kings. What happens is the kingdoms end up splitting. This is important that you understand this if you want to understand a little bit more about Esther. So what I did was I gave you another, here's another slide. It gets a little bit closer. When those kingdoms split, you see that the, the period of the, the northern kingdom of the southern kingdom, this is a closer look. Okay. Now, a lot of stuff on here. Don't get all crazy with it. Just for what it is. Okay. You see the two lines there. You see Solomon. And what happens is there's two splits. Remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel. By the way, if you don't like history, welcome to History 101. There's 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 northern ones split one way and the two southern ones split the other. Who are the two southern ones? Benjamin and Judah. That's important when we think about Esther. And you see the northern kingdoms go up. That's that top line, right? That's where we talked about Elijah last week. Elijah was there and he's, he's with him. And the northern kingdoms are terrible, right? They're not following God. They're doing their own thing. And that's where Elijah comes in. We don't talk about Jonah, but he's there up there right after Elijah. You'll see Jonah right at the end of the, the northern kingdoms. Jonah... Just as a side note, remember, God says to Jonah, you've got to go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, because that's where Assyrian is. That's where Assyria is. That's the northern, modern-day Iraq. Assyria was just about to wipe out the northern kingdom, so Jonah's like, I am not going there. I'm going to go as far away as possible. So he goes to Spain, right? He gets on a boat and just travels to Spain. Whale comes, the whole nine yards. You know the story, Jonah. But right after that time, Assyria comes and wipes him out. Okay, so now you got the southern kingdom. That's why it goes a little longer, right? Southern kingdom goes longer. Okay? They're following after God, but they have some bad kings too. Bad kings too. And they started not following God, and so God brings some people in to destroy them as well. That first flag there is Babylon. Okay? That's Babylon. They come in, the Babylonians, you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in, he wipes them out. Wipes out the, the southern kingdom. Judah and Benjamin. That's where we get Daniel. Daniel comes back in the fiery furnace with Nebuchadnezzar in the southern kingdom. Well, then the next flag there is Persia. After a number of years, in the year 500, Cyrus the, Cyrus the Great comes and in Persia wipes out the Babylonians. Okay? Babylonians wiped out. And they come in. Now they're, they're in control of the whole land. Persia. That's that second flag there. That's where we get Esther. Okay, you have to understand, this is very close to the time of the Old Testament. After, uh, just as a side note, after uh, Persia, Alexander the Great comes, the Greeks, they wipe out Persia, and then the Romans conquer um, the, um, excuse me, the Romans conquer the Greeks. And that's where we get the time of Christ. But Esther's right at the end. So when you look at the Old Testament, you go, why is Esther kind of in the middle of the Old Testament? It's the last historical narrative. The other uh, books are uh, the Psalms and Proverbs and the writings and then um, all the prophets. But Esther's right at the end, right at the end there. And she's in this middle of, of the time where Persia is really running everything. Now, if you ever have read the story of Esther, you'll know it plays out like a movie. I mean, I, just like a pure princess movie. If you have ever seen one of those, I know I have two kids, and I have lived that life of seeing princess movies time and time again, right? You've been there as well. I, I, I'm a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, and I think I'm going to write an article entitled Princesses That I Just Don't Care About. But lots of princesses, right? Lots of princesses movies, and this plays out just like one of those movies. you got the same kind of characters in it, the same kind of cast, you got the, even the same kind of plot. And all week when I was looking at the story of Esther, I thought, no, I can't contribute it to a movie. It's not a movie, it's real life, it is real life, but it does play out like a movie. 
In fact, there was a movie uh, years ago called One Night with the King. Um, I had asked my wife how that went because I fell asleep through that movie. But she said it was a good movie. It, it was about Esther. It plays out. You've got, you got a king. You've got a noble woman who comes to be the queen. And she saves her people. And you've got people coming around this queen who encourage her. And at the end, she saves the people. It's just like a movie. And once you understand the background of it, then you can apply it to our lives. So that's what we're going to talk about, the cast of Esther. If you ever walk into a, a play, you know that there's a cast, right? This is a cast. But understand when you look at that picture that these are real people, real people that, that happened, that, that played out. She, this was the first of those great princess movies ever. The first one is this. It's King Xerxes. Okay? If you have a King James, it's Ahasuerus. Okay? King Xerxes. Esther 1.1. First part of Esther. This is what happened during the, king of, during the time of King Xerxes. Xerxes, who ruled 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. Xerxes is the king of Persia. Okay? He is the king. He rules 127 provinces. That is a humongous area. You may say, well, how big is that? It's India to Kush. That's almost all of Asia, all the way through the Middle East into Africa. But you've got to figure that if the Babylonians were so big, Persia was even bigger. And King Xerxes is the guy who comes in and he's ruling. Now, there's another movie, I would not recommend it, but there's another movie that King Xerxes is highlighted in. It's the movie 300. That's the same guy. King Xerxes, but in that movie, they make him out to be like a God-man. Because he's got so much power, so much authority. They call him the great king, or they, some have called him the, the king of all other kings, this King Xerxes. And if you remember, he was so bent on power, he's going, he's going to fight Greece. Greece ends up conquering them. But you remember uh, 300 Spartans by, uh, led by King Leonidas go, and they, they stop him temporarily. It's the same king, King Xerxes. So King Xerxes has this queen. In the very beginning of Esther 1, uh, he has this king. So he's got all this power. He's got all this authority. Nothing. He has complete control. He's got this queen named Queen Vashti. And he has a banquet. And he says, let's bring Queen Vashti in. And she says, no, I'm not coming in. You don't hear much more about Queen Vashti anymore after that. <laughs> he goes, he's so infuriated because this queen won't come in. He wants to parade around in front of all his men. She won't come in. So he says, fine, she's done. I'm getting a new queen. And then he throws what I, uh, what I see as, as one of those great nationwide beauty pageants. Right? It's just like Cinderella, huh? Where the king's looking for a suitor, someone to come and be his wife. And so they throw this big, big uh, banquet. And they say, okay, bring all the women in. I'm going to pick one. Men, that does not work today. Okay? It's different. But he throws this big beauty pageant, right? Now he gets, now he gets a little bit of history. Persia, running everything, he's got all kinds of power, and he wants to find another woman to be his wife. So now you have the other cast. You move on to Mordecai, who we've read. Mordecai, in verse 2-5, says, There was a man in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, from the tribe of Benjamin. What did Persia conquer? Babylon. What did Babylon conquer? Benjamin and Judah. So this guy, Mordecai, is a Benjaminite. He doesn't tell anybody he's Jewish. I wouldn't tell anybody I was Jewish either. I'd be like, the only thing I can think of is in like World War II, being in Poland and saying, I'm Jewish. You wouldn't do that. 
You would not do that. He doesn't do it either. Mordecai is a Jewish man. But Mordecai plays an important role because he has a cousin named Esther. Esther. Or Hadassah. Esther 2.7 says this. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as, as Esther, was had a lovely figure and beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So Mordecai adopts Esther. We got it. Okay. Here's this maybe peasant girl, and he adopts her, and she gets to go in front of the king. Sounds like Cinderella, doesn't it? So she goes in front of the king, and in verse 17, it was immediate. The king loved Esther above all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all the other versions, it says in Esther 2.17, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So there he is. He has this big ball and sees Esther, just like the movies, as you can imagine. He sees her and goes, that's the one. Again, guys, it does not work the way it did back then, right? But he makes her queen. Then you have the evil villain or the, the evil stepmother, if you will, Haman. Haman is talked about in Esther 3 too. All the world's officials of the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So there you go. There's Haman. Haman is the, the right hand of the king. And he goes, I, you know, I really want the power here. I want people to bow down to me. I don't care about anybody else, but I want people to bow down to me. I want to be in control. But Mordecai doesn't do it. Now, you've got to understand there's a little bit more backstory with this. Haman, Haman didn't like the Jews from the get-go. If you remember way back, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a brother named Esau. Esau's family was evil. Jacob's family ended up being the Jewish people. Esau's family was the Amalekites. God was going to wipe out the Amalekites. Saul didn't do it. He told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. He wouldn't do it. It was Samuel that had to go kill the king, Agag. Because he wanted the the evil uh, uh, Amalekites wiped off the face of the earth. They are there. Haman is from that line. He knows that his people were the ones that were the descendants that were evil. And the Jewish people had all the rights. So he didn't like the Jewish people from the get-go. And now that Mordecai doesn't want to bow down to him, it's even more so. His hatred is just fuming. 500 years later, there's this, there's this fuming there. You can see Haman, right? So Haman comes up with an idea. It says in Esther 3.8, he says this, that Haman said to King Xerxes, he says, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of other people. They don't obey the king, his laws. It's not in the king's best interest to destroy them. If it pleases the king, says Haman, let's, let, it, let there be a decree to destroy them. So there's Haman. So we're going to destroy all the Jewish people. This is where the story picks up. This is where Doug just read for us in Esther 4. If you have your service sheets, we're in there. Because what Mordecai does, is he goes and tells Esther, he says, Esther, you're the queen, we're Jewish, you've got to go before the king, you've got to tell him that there's this plot to destroy the Jewish people, you've got to save our people, you've got to help. And that's when Esther, uh, Mordecai says, if you, if, you, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance from the Jewish people, in verse 14, will arise from another place, and who knows that you have come for such a time and place as this. So Mordecai is that counselor saying, listen, Queen Esther, you've got to go tell the king. 
So Esther goes and tells everybody to have a fast. We're going to fast. And then finally, that great verse, if I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She's, <laughs> she's about right. You go before the king and say, hey, listen, first off, I'm going to make a request of the king who has absolute power. You don't make a request of him. Secondly, you're Jewish. The place that they just conquered. You don't do that. But she says, listen, I'm going to go. Um, If I perish, I perish. I perish, I perish. So she ends up having a banquet. And there's a whole lot more to this. It's a long book, but she ends up having a banquet. She doesn't tell the king that night, but the king goes home and he can't sleep. And so he gets out a history book. Okay? He's reading through the history books of his kingdom. And he realizes that Mordecai, many, many years ago, the same Mordecai, actually saved the king because he foiled a plot between two of the king's advisors to kill him. And so Mordecai, Mordecai told the queen, the queen told the king, and the king killed those advisors. And so Mordecai really saved the king. And the king's realizing this as he's reading this story. And so he says, has anything ever done for Mordecai to celebrate him? And so people say, no. He says, well, I want to celebrate him. So he goes to Haman and says, hey, hey, I, we need to celebrate Mordecai. I mean, can you imagine Haman? He, he's already mad at him. He's got to be fuming. In fact, throughout Esther, we see that Haman has to actually like, lead him through the town. People are like celebrating him. He is absolutely furious. So he actually builds like this platform to kill uh, uh, Mordecai and, his, and like on his front lawn, like in his in his land. But then there's the the next banquet, the next night. Esther says, "Let's have another banquet." And she invites Haman. She invites um, the king. Esther seven says this. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And they were all drinking wine the second day. And the king asked again, Queen Esther, "What's your petition? It'll be given. What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted." She tells him about Haman's plan. She tells him what Haman's going to do. She's bold and courageous. Then King Xerxes asks Queen Esther in verse 5, Who is he? Where is he? Who is this man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther says, An adversary, an enemy, the vile Haman. And the king is so irate with Haman that he goes and hangs him on the same platform that he had for Mordecai. What a great story. I mean, it's a great movie, isn't it? And then Esther and Mordecai get all Haman's estates. I mean, you could just see this unfolding, right, in a movie. It's fantastic. In fact, it was such a big deal for the Jewish people that you may have heard this. Every, you may have heard of the Festival of Purim. The Jewish people celebrate what they call Festival of Purim. It's, every, uh, it's usually the end of the winter, early spring. This year was uh, February 28th. The Festival of Purim is about Esther. How Esther was bold and went to the king and saved all the people. And so every year at the festival of Purim, it showed up in one of my calendars one time, one of those digital calendars, the festival of Purim. They, the rabbis get up and they read the story of Esther because Esther saved, she was bold and she saved the people. Great story. Full of lines, full of moments. But what I want you to see is not just what a great story, that would make a great movie, Jerry, but what I want you to see is that this story is not only historical, it's a spiritual analogy. It's a spiritual analogy. When we think of Xerxes having all kinds of power and authority, we're reminded of our our king who has absolute power. He is the one that's really true, the king of kings. He's the one that commands all things. He is the one that owns all things. When we think of Haman, we think of Satan. 
Haman wanted to destroy everything. He wanted the power of people to celebrate him, worship him. He had no good desire. Haman does the same thing as Satan does with us. He wants to destroy and kill us. He wants us to get us focused off our king, our God, and serve him. That's why Paul says that we're not, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers, powers of this present darkness. That's what Paul was referring to, because Haman is the same thing as Satan. It, it does us well to remind us that Satan is not like you. He does not like me. He does not like us worshiping here. He wants to destroy God's people. He wanted to destroy the Jewish people, destroy the line of them. He did it again in Bethlehem when he wanted to destroy the children, the babies, the, all the babies that were going to be um, killed. He tried to do it with Christ and the cross, didn't he? But Christ conquered the cross, didn't he? Christ was victorious. And then there's Esther. Esther reminds us of us, doesn't she? Somebody who was an abandoned orphan. Don't, we don't know why her parents left, but we know that Christ adopted us as sons and daughters when he died on the cross for us, that we could be his sons and daughters. And we have Mordecai. Mordecai is that encourager. It says, be bold, be bold, Esther, be bold, be bold. Mordecai reminds us of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? Comes as our, our counselor, encouraging us. So what's the application? You see, if this was a movie, and we were playing out this movie, it's a real, it's a real story. But if we were giving out awards, Esther obviously would have got best female, right? Mordecai probably would have gotten best supporting actor. Haman would have gotten best villain. But God would have definitely gotten best director. Because the application to this is that God has a plan for our situation just like God had a plan for Esther's situation. Verse 4 of 14 is a famous verse. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, Mordecai says, will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. But who knows that, that you've come to your royal position for such a time and place as this. God used that situation for her. God had a plan for that situation. God's got a plan for your situation. You may wonder, why did I move into this neighborhood? Maybe it was the only house I could afford. Maybe God has you in that neighborhood so you can be a light to that neighborhood. Maybe you wonder, why, did I, why, why, why do I have a terrible marriage? Maybe God's trying to pick on me in this marriage. Maybe, maybe God's trying to punish me. Maybe God has you exactly where he needs you to be so you can be a blessing to your spouse. You may say, why do I have these children that have gone off astray? Why is God tormenting me like this? Maybe God has a plan for your situation because he has you for such a time and place as this to be able to encourage your children to put them back on that right path. You may say, why do I have such a terrible job? I can't find another job. I can't get out of this. Maybe God has you there because someone needs to know the love of Jesus like you know it. It's such a time and place as this. You see, when we get focused on the problems, we forget the promises. I want to remind you of the promises that God has a plan for your situation. That's the promise that you've got to hold on to. That despite the situation you're in, that God's going to use this, use you. So instead of praying, God, get me out of this situation, maybe your prayer needs to be, God, use me in this situation. Because that's what he did for Esther. Esther, in this situation, she didn't know why she was there. But God used her for such a time and place as this. Not only that, God has a plan for our situation, but we therefore need to be bold in our situation. We've got to be bold in our situation. If we look at verse 16, what does she say? If I go to the king, even though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. If I go tell somebody about Christ and they don't like me anymore or they, they unfriend me on Facebook, so what? 
What if I tell my neighbor, what if they don't want to talk to me again? So what? What if I tell my coworker, what if I offend them? If I offend them, I offend them. What if I tell my spouse that, that they're love? What if I try to encourage them and they just fight me back? If they fight you back, they fight you back. If I perish, I perish. We've got to be bold like Esther. See, Esther didn't just lie back and, and, and pray that, that God would, would change Xerxes' mind. She actually took action, didn't she? She went before the king and, and made that request, just like, just like she did. We go boldly before our king, make the same request. And God, use us mightily here. Maybe you're in a job that's terrible, but maybe there's someone that needs to know the love of Christ. Maybe you need to uh, give somebody a good word of encouragement. Maybe you need to help somebody financially. I don't know what it is, but you need to be praying for boldness in your situation. Because God has you exactly where he wants you for such a time and place as this. We look at Esther. My hope is that you look at her and you'll say, man, she lived boldly. She could have died. She probably should have died, and she didn't. God used her mightily. How can he use us mightily? You know, as we close here together, we're going to sing and we're going to remember who is our King, our Lord. And I, I think when you look at the story, it's easy to look at the main characters of Esther and the boldness that she had and that God can use us in our situation. But I do think that there's a third application that's often overlooked. We, we read it. We probably didn't think anything about it. You see, if they were going to give awards to Esther being a best female or Mordecai, best supporting actress, then they probably should give an unsung hero award too. It's to all those people who fasted and prayed for three days for Esther. Fasting and praying brings hope to our situation, brings clarity to our situation. She says, gather all together, all the Jews who are in Susa, fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. See, prayer is powerful. We've got to rem- remind ourselves of that. Maybe you're not serving in ministry, but pray for those who are. That God will use them mightily. Maybe you're not going out into the mission field, but you've got to pray for those people who are going to go out in the mission field. Why? That God's going to use them mightily. They prayed for Esther. Hey, we pray that God's going to use Esther mightily. We pray for protection. Man, the things that happen when we pray. You see, before Esther went to her king to pray, the people went to their king to pray. And we got to do the same. Maybe you say, you know what, I do need to go tell somebody about Christ. Maybe I do need to go witness to somebody. Maybe I do need to give somebody a good word of encouragement. Before you do, you got to pray. you got to pray for that boldness like Esther. That's why Hebrews 4.15 says, let us come, therefore, boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly to the throne of grace, it says, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, to help in that time of need. That's what Esther did. She went boldly before her king before she went to the other king. She went boldly before God, as the people did, to use her mightily. That's got to be your prayer. Not, God, get me out of this situation, but God, use me in this situation. I want to be bold in this situation. And I hope you learn, as Esther did, what happens when honest people with real needs go before their king and make a request, and God can use them mightily. That's my hope and prayer. That you are as bold as Esther was in your life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the boldness that you've shown Esther. Esther had. Lord, many of us are in situations that we do not like. It's frustrating. We feel stuck. We feel trapped. We 
We don't know why you've put us in these situations, but Lord, remind us here today that you've put us for such a time and place as this. Lord, help us to be bold, to be able to use those situations, those circumstances of our life to affect your kingdom. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we leave this place, I pray that you go with us with boldness and courage as well. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen.